0: Purpose Highway is a space for discussions that drive connections toward people's highest purpose to build a better self and a better world. Join me for season one, where I start to uncover stories of entrepreneurs and thinkers that are making an impact. I'm your host, Scott Mason, and enjoy today's episode. Hello everybody, it's Scott Mason here revving up for another race down the Purpose Highway and sitting next to me in the front seat is Mark Halpert. Mark is a LinkedIn coach and a blogger. He owns a company that markets e-commerce and cash flow solutions for businesses and he is an author and a highly sought after public speaker. Mark, welcome to Scott Mason's Purpose Highway. It is so good to have you here.
1: I am so happy to be here. I can't believe we finally got here. It's so good.
0: (laughs) And I am privileged to have you on the show, and I know that the audience is going to love the interview today. Let's start by going back to some of our pre-interview conversations. During those conversations, you described your entrepreneurial journey as a roller coaster, a roller coaster ride that you love. And I can see by that smile on your face that you oh, meant yeah. it when you said it. You weren't just saying that to flatter us all. And that's, that's always nice. But you know, you started as a multinational banker and, and you worked as a banker for many, many years. I, I have to say, I have known a fair amount of bankers in my life. When I think of bankers, I'm not thinking of people that love having their arms up in the air, yeah. doing the roller coaster ride thing. Talk to us a little bit about your journey to becoming a banker
1: and what happened? (laughs) Well, I took the traditional trajectory of go to graduate school, get an MBA. Now what do you do? Banks were hiring. I was smitten by the New York City bug. So I was hired by what was then the third largest bank in the United States to go into the multinational area because I studied international politics and international business. God, that stuff's boring. I was so bored. And then I said, okay, I can sell money like anybody. It's all green. It's all how cheap you make it and how you negotiate covenants with the lender with, with the borrowers and what the lender can do to the borrower. I said, this is not a place for me. I just didn't belong there. Now I have great friends to this day from 1979. We all came through the pizza hell together and training. <laughs> And in the, in, you know, in the woods, you know, I drove the back roads of Indiana and Southern Illinois. If you're from Indiana, Southern Illinois, I'm sorry. But back then, it was not where this New York City boy was supposed to be. From, <laughs> in the end. And when I passed the same farmer with the same dog twice, I knew I was really lost. So that's <laughs> when I decided, OK. So I went to the other side of the desk. I figured if I could be a banker talking to corporate treasury finance people, I could be a corporate treasury finance person speaking to the bankers. And I did that for a while, worked in a bunch of multinational corporations, loved it, fed my international interests. But then I got to the point, had two kids, college education looming, just didn't feel like it was for me forever. And I took the counterintuitive, insane, brave, smart step to go out on my own.
0: When That's I had open. a daughter
1: going into college. Uh, well, <laughs> now, wow. you know, you're not too smart sometimes when you give it all up with all the benefits and the this and the that, and you go and then two days after your business opens, we have 9-11. Mm-hmm. And for a year, that business went nowhere. No one would see me. Everybody was licking their wounds. We were all stunned. And I'm out there peddling, hey, I've got the newest thing, electronic payments. You want to hear about that? And no one wanted to hear about anything new. But what comes out of tragedy as humans is opportunity. And that's when electronic payments began to pay off, began to kick off, because people were giving donations. And then we had tsunamis, we had earthquakes. We had hurricanes and catastrophic, horrible stuff, equal to or worse than 9-11, where people didn't know what to do. And electronic payments and electronic payments kept coming and coming. People got comfortable with it. And then I was, the world was catching up to me. And then we had 07, 08 with a recession, a really bad recession. And I was looking for clients and I had no clients because no one was looking for any new vendors or new salespeople to come visit with them. So I decided I better find new people by researching, using the internet. Then somebody said, hey, you ought to look into LinkedIn. And I did. And that's where the bug got me. Because that is where I found my true calling of connecting great people to each other, you and me, other people where we really connect and we really find a common ground. We become friends for decades. We make that friendship, that companionship, that collegial relationship stronger every time we're together. And that's why I teach it because people are
0: afraid to do it and you need to be doing it. There is so much to unpack in what you just said (laughs) that I'm going to have to step back a bit because some of this that you put out here has some juice in it. And I've got to squeeze that juice so we can all really taste it and get a sense as to what this means and how it has all built up to this finding of your purpose. Let's talk a little bit more about your banking days. Hmm. One of the things that was interesting in what you said and that I personally can relate to and that I would be shocked if at least some of our listeners cannot relate to themselves is that sense of... Boredom. Tedium, yeah. You know, some folks find safety and security in that boredom. Some people assume that boredom is just what work is, and they walk into their job with no other expectation. Some people find it unendurable. Am I correct, first of all, in assuming that you found the boredom unendurable or was it just that you didn't expect that from your worker or or why exactly would boredom trigger you making a change in your life?
1: Really good question. Back, put yourself back to 79, 82, 85, 90. Everybody was on the five-year plan. You never stayed any place less than two years and you never stayed any place more than five years. So I just took the five-year plan at face value and just changed jobs or changed careers every five years. Now that's gutsy. And in a lot of cases, it's really scary because you just are thrust into either a new organization where you have to find your way or a new industry where you are in a new organization and a new industry, you have to find two times the ways. That's hard, but I love that challenge. I love to be able to continue to grow my expertise, my skill set, layer on new skills and find the right people to learn from. And those are some of those people I'm still in touch with, like I said, from the late
0: 70s. Mark, when you were a little boy, <laughs> were you the adventurous little boy? Or was, were you the boy whose parents told him this is what you do when you did it?
1: I did anything to- I was told to do. I was a good soldier. I was I, I look, we were all taught not to talk about ourselves. Don't do anything creative. Be quiet. Sit in the back and listen. If you look back at all my elementary school report cards, it says Mark talks too much. (laughs) Mark Mark should listen more. (laughs) You know, luckily I didn't go to program school. I still have my knuckles. And so, you know, it's it's a matter of I had to find my voice. And as a banker, I was still a fish out of water. I ethnically, religiously. Background-wise, I didn't belong in the bank I was in, but I made my way anyway. I was on a fast track, and I, I could have stayed, and I could have done really well. And then I left it, and I went to corporate. And I was always on a fast track in the companies, and they always appreciated what I had to say. The last company they said to me, you pontificate. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm talking about stuff that's important to me, and that's when they I think I decided that what was important to me wasn't important to them.
0: You say that you love the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Okay. Tell us about, as an entrepreneur, and you hinted at it a little bit earlier, I suspect, but I'd like to hear about it in more detail. Your highest high so far and your lowest low. The.
1: Remember the last time you were on a roller coaster? Now, let's say it was an old wooden roller coaster, and it was really rickety
0: and noisy. you click, 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 click. am anyway. terrified even listening.
1: Uh, yeah, really, it's really <laughs> Up, uh, up, 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 slow, 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 sales cycle. Sales cycle gets longer and longer when the economy is lower and smaller. Yeah. My sales cycle is really long. But then when you hit and you have the first couple of phone calls or Zoom calls or whatever, you remember face-to-face? We used to do face-to-face a long time ago. How you would feel it. It was coming. It was gelling. The relationship was budding. And you move it and it's beginning to go up steeply, but you're getting to the crescendo. And then you go, vroom. And it's gone so fast. And then you got to go build another up the hill to backfill the person that you just went down the hill with. This is what I didn't realize as a consultant. When one consulting gig is done, you've got to have a bunch of other consulting gigs waiting in the background because it's a long sell until you get the next one. So it's concurrent business. So I'm on multiple roller coasters at any one time. But I love it. I love it because only I earned it, mm-hmm. no one else, like big corporation, everybody's a cog in the wheels, you know, everybody's moving along in the mm-hmm. same direction. I earned it. If I, if I win it, I won it because of me. Yeah. Yeah. I won it because the person on the other side saw the value and the expertise I could give them in a life skill that people don't even know
0: people train on LinkedIn in most cases. You know, it's interesting that you say that too, and I I just have to inject something here. One of the biggest challenges that I found during my own travails during in the middle of large organizational life connects to something that you just said, which is that there was not always a connection whatsoever between my inputs and outputs. Consistently, especially when I worked for government, Heaven knows. But even in other large organizational settings, I had usually the strongest work ethic of anyone around me. No connection to promotions. The quality of my work was almost always praised. No connection to promotions. I was easy to get along with. No connection to promotions. There were a whole host of other factors that may or may not have been relevant to my actual performance, um, and were more likely tied to whatever the strategic goals of the company were, or the preferences of the supervisor, or the direction of whatever organization that I was in that probably played a lot into what guaranteed or led to whatever outcomes I might have. But my own inputs actually usually were a relatively small consequence, as opposed to in. The world of entrepreneurialism, where I can actually draw a line between my inputs and outputs. It's not a perfect line, but at no. least I can say, "Well, I was working to get that client. I got that client." That you sort of are thing. proud
1: of what you accomplish as an as an entrepreneur. So, again, another story. When I was in big corporate, I was working a lot in Latin America, and I was we were trying to get cash out of these countries. And Controls are insane, horrible laws that are designed to obfuscate. And I found an opportunity to take money out of a certain country, all legal, always legal, have to be legal. We're a public health company. And I had worked it out with the bank. We're waiting for something to happen. The circumstances were right. Phone call in the morning. Let's do it, Mark. This is the time. We may not get another window of opportunity. Mm -hmm. I call the boss. The boss says, do it. The boss calls his boss. The boss says, Don't do it. It's going to cause tax problems for us. And so I worked for seven months on something that, because some bozo in the tax department decided wasn't good for the corporation, wasn't good for the corporation to get the cash. And still the cash just sat there for no good reason. Did I feel good about that? Did I feel like I had a direct line to my own company's success? Absolutely not. And it was then and there that I decided, You know, this is bullshit. I'm not doing this anymore. I need to get out of this stymieing situation added on top of the fact that every Sunday night I went into deep depression because I was going back into this same hellhole for the same reason to run the round in that little mouse wheel one more time just to get through the week. More. Or they'd send me off traveling to some godforsaken place that could be very dangerous, like Colombia or, you know, places like that, because we had to go press the flesh. That's not what I wanted to do with my life as a father and as a husband and as a just a general person who doesn't like to take personal life risks. I'd rather do it at home. So I decided that this is it. I'm going to do this, do something on my own. Like I said, the first business, the electronic payment business was one thing. It grew into the LinkedIn business. The two mesh really nicely because I was saying the roller coaster of the revenue cycle on the uh, on the uh, consulting side is offset by residual income I get on my first business mm-hmm. every month. Mm-hmm. So I might have a dry LinkedIn month, but I've got a really good electronic payments month. And when they're
0: both good, that's really good. One of the things that I found interesting about the earlier statements that you were making when you were summarizing your whole journey was the excitement that I could hear in your voice around the electronic payments company, as well as your understanding of its role in solving some problems individuals might have felt connecting to larger social or cultural or even environmental situations like the Great Tsunami. One might be watching this or listening and wondering how... Can he feel such excitement about electronic payments? <laughs> Usually people get excited if they have some purpose or driven uh, purpose or mission driven work. Yours is electronic payment systems. Huh? Yeah. Explain Who that. Who cares,
1: right? Who cares about electronic payment systems when they work fine? It's when they don't work fine. When something f- just doesn't happen right, then you got to dig it. And, you know, you got to figure out where the problem lies. So, after enough years of doing this for somebody else in the corporate world, because that was part of what I did, I decided to do it for other people who would appreciate it. Because smaller players live and die by their cash flow. All bi- all players live and die by cash flow. That's ultimately the f- common denominator yes. in business. It's all cash, yes. cash in, cash out. Do I have more cash than I need? Okay, I'm okay. Any constriction. Of cash flow because of a technological or a mail delay or a customer holding back payment is like taking your arm and wrapping a rubber band around it for about a week. And you know what? It's not going to do well. All right. My estimation was I could go out. This was about 2000, right before 9-11. I could go out and I could slay the world because I had this great idea. And then I still have this great idea. And it still helps people to this day in 2021 because they still don't understand the cash flow paradigm, but it's a slower burn and it's more, there's more competition, which is fine. I'm okay with that. But when I hear a customer call me and say, I just sent out a $15,000 invoice that somebody paid me electronically and man, I needed that money in one day, just like you promised me or in two days, just like you promised me, you saved my business then I feel good. Mm -hmm. And it's about the stuckness. It's about the people who are either stuck for cash flow or stuck inside themselves, can't get out of their own way, can't give themselves permission to talk about themselves on LinkedIn. The common denominator between the boring world of electronic payments and probably people hate the world of LinkedIn because it's making you do something outside of your comfort zone is the fact that I am 110% client centric. My customers love the work I do with them. I don't make them call an 800 number to talk to some unimpassioned, bored to death, 22-year-old kid who's there just because there's no other job until the next good job comes. Or is paid to get off the phone as fast as possible. Is there anything else I can do for you, Mr. Halpert? Mr. Mason, have I answered all your questions? Please say no. Please, 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 please. So, you know, I, I... I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. She has two businesses, two completely crazy businesses like I do, two crazy, completely different businesses. What's the common denominator? Why do people buy into you? And wouldn't we all love to have electronic payments business people that we do business with doing LinkedIn work with me as well and LinkedIn clients doing electronic payments business with me? It's me. I'm the common denominator. And if you hear my passion in something as dull and mundane as electronic payments. Imagine what I can do on your LinkedIn profile with yeah. you. Yeah. So it's the, it's, it's in me. It's the pontification. It's the teacher. I probably should have been a teacher. I always am this way. Can you imagine me in a bank? They must've thought I was insane.
0: Maybe that was my problem all along in large organizations too, particularly government. Maybe I was too much of a pontificator. No one ever told me that, but maybe they were afraid to, or maybe they were just being polite. I'm going to have to go back and ask folks well, it was about that. Well, a nice that. thing. I mean, if you're going to hold me up to the pontiff, that's a pretty nice <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Let me ask you something else. You talked about 9-11 happening right after you started your business. In fact, you've mentioned that twice. This is being taped at hopefully the tail end of a similarly profound and transformational event that has impacted the culture and economy of the entire world in a way that really in our lifetime, probably nothing except 9 can even begin to compare to. In a way definitely in terms of body count, in terms of the length of time that people have endured suffering, the current crisis that we're in now far outshadows 9-11. Yeah. However, in terms of a single dramatic event, particularly for those of us that are in the New York City area or were at that time, it's hard to imagine anything in American history that can compare to 9-11 and its economic Impact reverberated for many, many years afterwards. How did you feel when 9-11 happened and you began to realize what that would mean for you? And how did you continue to make it through? How did you not give up? I was downstairs in my home office setting up
1: my business. And my wife yells down the steps, you come up here now. It's like, oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> so <laughs> she says to me, look at the TV. And there's this gaping hole in the World Trade Center. First one. Yes. And we're not. We don't even know what to say. We've never seen this. I've never been in a war zone. That was as close to a war zone as we ever have. We had just been in New York City that Sunday. Yeah. That evening, that morning, Sunday morning, on, the, on Circle Line. And we have a great picture of my little kid, who's now a 33-year-old kid. He's in front of the World Trade Center. And mm-hmm. that was the... Sunday before and people who died there and people who knew people who died there and coming and going back to the train station in my town in Connecticut and seeing all the cars still parked there. And you know that it is a life changing moment. Like I remember when John F. Kennedy was killed and I remember this and I remember that. So these are memorable moments. But then you say to yourself, what do I do next? No one will see me. No one wants to hear from me. That's when I work harder. That's when I put my nose to the proverbial grindstone and churn away at something new. What am I doing now in the middle of the pandemic? I'm marketing my butt off right now with you, with so many other podcasts I have for this week, next week, for advertising work that I'm doing, for video work that I'm doing, whatever it is. And I learned in in, in 2000, and I learned in 0708, and I learned again in 21. When the economy is down and there's uncertainty, Rely upon your certainty that you have something to offer the world and let them know it every which way you can. So I do that. I blog every single morning yes. in the week. And it's always something that's a value to other people. At it's least excellent to too, it by the way. way. Thank you very much. I like to make it something in my LinkedIn world that I see, my LinkedIn life that I see, that has an, an, an effect on other people. And people comment on it from all over the world. And I Mm. love it, but I just want sometimes wonder if I'm screaming into the abyss. Mm -hmm. But okay, I'm at least helping them. So it's this valuation, this need to be validated that all entrepreneurs have, because all entrepreneurs are very, very flimsy in their work because we know it could go away in a heartbeat. Yes. Uh, who thought a pandemic would occur and all these wonderful restaurants and all these other wonderful yes. theaters would be gone in a moment. Yes. Maybe never to come back again. Yes. Maybe hopefully to come back in some way, shape or form. So all of this has been me transforming myself and adapting to my environment and trying to give my environment just a little bit better than I got from it.
0: It's interesting though, when you talk about particularly your blog I had a conversation yesterday with someone who will be a guest on this podcast in the future. And she was telling me how she also regularly puts things out on social media. It might be her dancing. It might be her talking. It might be her doing this, that, and the other. And she has assumed because no one comments on it or no one likes it, that it's just going out into this, (laughs) (laughs) this electronic abyss. And then she recently went back to her hometown and Everywhere she went, oh, I've seen your videos. They're incredible. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. You have meant so much. You brought me joy in moments in which I was depressed. She had no idea that by putting stuff out into what she thought was the world's most massive black hole of information, she actually was transforming lives. Talk to us about your experience with regards to that, if any, and whether you agree with her.
1: I definitely agree with her two ways. One is, and historically, I wrote a LinkedIn article a while ago on my LinkedIn page. I loved it. I thought a lot of people liked it. Seven or eight or maybe nine months later after I published it on LinkedIn, I get this little note in Farsi, the Iranian language. Mm -hmm. I don't read Farsi. I took it to my friend in the city. He read Farsi. He said to me, you have touched this woman in a way that she doesn't even know how to express. And you don't even know who you're talking to. And she says something like this, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. She's like, we don't get to read material like this where I live. You have made my eyes open up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love that. Does that happen often? No, it really doesn't. Okay. But it's sometimes the thing that keeps you going in between. Right now, I'm working on a project with two guys. They've been reading my LinkedIn material for nine years. They never once made a comment, but they hired me because they knew I exist. Mm -hmm. They came back to me and they said, okay, we are now ready for you. Tell me, wrap a story around how we can work together. And when they did, I said, you know what, this is for me, this is exciting because I just finished a project very similar to this and I get to expand upon that project. Thank you. And they signed it and we start next week. And I'm not making this crap up because it's real. And you don't know who's out there and how long they're reading unless you ask them for a call to action. And all my posts say something and something like this. Do you agree? What would you have done? Have you ever had a situation like this? Please give me more than emojis and little clappy hands and little thumbs up because it tells me nothing. Would you please tell me why you liked what I wrote. So I can get better at what I do so I'm better for what you want to read. And 99% of the people, even when I ask them to give me comments, give me a thumbs up. Yeah, I can't change the beast. The yeah. beast won't move. So this lazy brainlessness that we are succumbed to in, in uh, social media, I try to rise against that every way I can. I, I'm not going to follow
0: pack. That's not what I do. It's interesting. Also, the impact that making those comments can have. There is someone who I have noticed in the past couple of months, comments on practically everything that I write. And I have not met him, although I'm almost certainly going to reach out to him and suggest that he and I have a meeting. Uh, But he's come to my attention simply by virtue of the fact that maybe I've shown up on his feed due to some shared connections, and he's taken that time and effort over and over again to make substantive little remarks. That person that I don't know, I have come to read up on, who is this person that's taking the time to show me that what I'm putting out there has impacted him? I've taken the time to read his material, so I'm getting now a better sense about who he is and what he stands for and what his uh, what his message is. And I actually have developed a sense of appreciation and a bond with someone that I've never met face-to-face simply because he's taken that time to do that. And it's a surprising but very impactful way that a total stranger has made a connection with me. What I always tell folks is that when you're making a comment on someone's post, you don't know how they might be feeling having put that out there. They might have been nervous. Am I going to be rejected? Or is this going to go into this abyss we talked about earlier? Or is this really speaking to someone? And if for no other reason than you letting that person know that what they wrote or posted spoke to you enough that you felt the need to put up two or three words even, that is giving something to someone beyond what you might even be able to appreciate, as that case um, in point illustrates. Couldn't agree with you more. Give me
1: a moment of your time by reading. Give me half a moment of your time by a comment. Why did you
0: like this? That's all I'm asking for. It sounds sappy, but the memory of that comment that that person left for you will last far longer and the appreciation will last far longer than the two seconds it takes to write. Oh, that really spoke to me. Bravo, Scott. So happy to read this. How long does it take to write
1: that? Just a little something. Now that's not the most warm and wonderful comment that you'd ever want, but you're getting something back from the abyss. So I always like to say things like when somebody takes a new job, Congratulations, bravo, brava, as the case may be. They are lucky to have you. Yeah. You know what you can do? You put them up on a Word document and you copy paste them into LinkedIn all day long. They still feel good about it. So I've given away a big secret. I don't do happy birthdays anymore. I don't care. I care about your work anniversary. I care about a success you've had. I care about when you have a question and I can answer it for you. That's part of the global conversation that LinkedIn provides us that most people don't even begin to take the smallest advantage of.
0: Which goes right into my next question then. How can LinkedIn help people on their own journeys down the purpose highway? LinkedIn can't help anybody. You have to help you.
1: You have to give of yourself. You have to write your your career narrative into LinkedIn, not copy-paste your resume into LinkedIn. You have to give warm, fuzzy information that people will like in a story and recall later. You have to tell your progression. And if you had regression or you've been let go, or you are temporarily unemployed, that's okay. That's fine. Because we all have had something like that, or we've known lots and lots of people like that. You're not the only person in the world suffering in this economy. So be honest, be open, be real, be relevant. I could give you a thousand adjectives. Talk to the audience. I, and a power verb. Let's leave the verbs of was, had, made, did for elementary school. Let's talk as we're speaking to the board of directors. We're making a pitch. Whether you're pitching your consulting business or you're pitching yourself as an employee, you are talking to higher-ups and they need to fall in like with you enough to want to contact you so the rest is up to you. So when they call you on the phone, You sound on the phone like you read in LinkedIn, and there's not a disconnect in your personality. They're getting 110% of you every time they have contact with you. You want to say
0: something? Go ahead. Well, you know, there's an interesting conundrum, though, in what you're saying that I would be curious to get an answer around. I have feelings about this myself, but look, I defer to you because you're the expert. And let's face it, a lot of the people watching or listening to this are probably going to have this exact same question. Everyone says, be real on LinkedIn, bring out your full self. How do you do that without the risk of running afoul of expectations of professionalism that one might have?
1: All right. We are living in a funny world right now. We are being very human, much more so than we're being professional. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to find the middle ground, whatever you're comfortable with. Scott, you're going to say things differently than I'm going to say them. You're going to read my profile or I'll read your profile and say, he said that. I respect him for that. I could never say that. You got to say what's true to you. All right. But don't be boring. Boring never got business, all right? As my father used to say, wallflowers never get a dance. You gotta be interesting. You have to be attractive enough for them to want to read down, down, down as far into your LinkedIn profile to understand who you are and not what you are, but why you
0: do what you do. What is boring on LinkedIn? Resume, copy paste, boring as hell. What is a boring post?
1: I read this. Click link. Tell me why you liked it. Tell me why it resonated with you. We're all posting articles like six ways to do whatever it is, all right? You see those in magazines all the time. So six ways. And if I like five of the six, I'm going to say, I like this article one through five, I take exception to number six because I have found it to be different in my experience, and here's why. It's okay to differ professionally, but give people the best you've got, the best quality you can give them, and if you're just a boring person and there are boring people in this world, try a little bit to get out of that rut. Mm -hmm. And there's all these people out there, as I've found in my coaching, and I know you have, who are just fascinating people dying to get out. Yeah. They're dying to give themselves permission to be fun. Or you read their profile and it's like, ugh, boring. And you say, all right, I'll give them a call. Maybe you're will zoom with them. Maybe something will come of it. And you get this bubbling, effervescent, fascinating person. I say to them, why aren't you interesting on LinkedIn? You're fun in person. Why can't you be both or vice versa? And I don't know how to do it. Well, that's what coaches like me do like you do. All right. It's we're all taught not to talk about ourselves. And yet in today's world, we're screaming to talk about ourselves. But there is a level of professionalism that we have to maintain. And there is a level like no comedy, never do comedy on LinkedIn because it's just going to fall flat. You, there are certain things that you just can't do because people interpret with the lens that they're born with or that they've developed over time. But you can be interesting. You can tell lots of stories. Here's another example. I talk about, I do a good job, okay? I'm, I'm told to do a good job. If I told you, I did this and I did this, and I was really good at this, and I was really good at this, you know, don't want anything to do with him. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, I use actual quotes of clients who said, What a good job I did. Now, that's not Mark telling you how wonderful he is. That's other people telling you what a good job I do. And people relate to that in a new way. And somebody says, How'd you learn to do that? I said, Because I don't want to talk about myself that way. I'll let other people do it for me.
0: Speaking of that, and clients or colleagues or whatever talking about you, what would you say to someone who's inside feeling i look at mark halpert's linkedin profile and he has ten thousand recommendations from people or adrian miller my gosh who was an earlier guest on this look at her profile and there are so many recommendations that she has in her list it's a little bit overwhelming what do you say to someone who feels no one is volunteering to do these recommendations for me i don't even know how to put that out there Stop right
1: there. No one volunteers to write your recommendation. You have to ask them to write a recommendation. You got to ask. Remember in college, and I have a great story. I, I had one professor, my major, an undergraduate, and I really liked him, and he liked me, and it was great. We had a very nice relationship. And he went off on sabbatical my senior year. So before my junior year was over, I went to him and I said, professor, would you write me a recommendation? He said, I'd be happy to. Okay. So I asked and then he left and I left and I came back and sitting in my mailbox at the department was this lame, boring recommendation because he Mm -hmm. just, I mean, this is something else to do. Get this kid out of my, out of my sight. Yeah. And I had no recourse to help them. And it was so important for my graduate school and all this stuff. And I had nothing to get LinkedIn's so much different. If I needed a recommendation from you, Scott, I would say to you, Hey, Scott, I really like you to write a recommendation. And in that recommendation, would you tell an anecdote? And here's the anecdote that I'd like to remind you that we mm-hmm. share in common. Now, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I'd like you to say. I'll give you the bare bones. You put around it the words you want, right? Never a you write it, I'll sign it type of thing because that's not right. That's just boring for the recommender. Don't do that. So I give you the information. I give you the spur that you need. You write on top of my outline and you send it to me. And if I like it, I'll publish it. And if I don't like it or there's something that's not quite right, it could be a little bit better. You spelled my name wrong. God forbid, which happens all the time. I can't have that go out. I send it back to you. I say, hey, you could make these couple of changes. And could you give me a little bit more sentence on this, that, or the other? And you send it back to me. And I like it. And I publish it. So don't expect somebody to say, I'll volunteer to recommend you. You're great. I think you're terrific. Because no one does that. And the other thing is, you need a number of recommendations. Now, Adrian love her. She wrote me a recommendation. I wrote her a recommendation. Not concurrently. Of course. Because we all felt we deserve to help each other that way. Okay. So I have a rule, the Halpert rule. Write this down, folks. Take the number of good connections you have and know on LinkedIn. We'll get to that in a second. And multiply that times 2%. 98% of the people you like, like you, 2% stark ravingly love you enough to commit to writing what a wonderful person you are. That's a very small percentage, but it's around 2%. So I've got a lot of connections and only connect to people you like and know. Do not be, here comes the big word, the P word, a promiscuous linker. You will get a disease, For being too easy. So that's what happens when somebody has 15,000 connections. I say, Oh, I've been trying to get a hold of Bob. Bob's connected to Joe. Let me talk to Joe. He's got 15,000 connections. Say, Hey, Joe, put me in front of Bob. He goes, I don't know, Bob. I don't know who the hell you're talking about. And I'm looking at Joe like, You're a fool. You've just wasted everybody's time by connecting everything with carbon life force. Don't do that. So it's the recommendations. It's the 2% times the number of really firm, good people you're connected to in your entourage. You. And I got, I've, I got a lot of connections. I know every one of them. I have vetted every one of them. I have talked to every one of them. I have Zoomed with every one of them. Somehow or another, we have all done business or decided the privilege of connecting was important enough to count in my connections. The metaphor I use, your doorbell rings. Do you let anybody on the other side of the door into your house?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. That's where the P word comes back in. (laughs) It depends on who you are. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll leave it at that. (laughs) This part won't be part of the snippet on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I use that word. I get
1: people go, he said the P word, you know. But
0: you know what? When you use words like that, I mean, it's not like there's anything inherently wrong with that word. Exactly. It is not boring. And, and they remember
1: if somebody in. called me he goes, I'm not a promiscuous linker. I have a question for you. It's
0: like, okay. <laughs> Mark, you've given us so much advice and you've told us so many interesting stories, but I want to wrap it up in a quick bow. Okay. If you had to say in a few sentences what your own yeah. purpose on this planet is, what would you say?
1: My job is to make it easier for other people to thrive, succeed, and shine. And if that's your cash flow, or if that's your professional ego on LinkedIn, and you do it in a good way, and you call me giddy, squealing, I just got a piece of business from LinkedIn, and I feel so good, you finally what you said to me, Riley, worked. makes my day, makes my week, makes my month. So I am here to make other people talk about their why. Mm-hmm. Simon Sinek's book yep. Start With a Why If you Can haven't read it, base. you gotta read it If you haven't read it, don't have time to read it, don't read well Watch the YouTube Go find it, but get it Then go see a movie Pay it forward I pay everything forward I, I saw that movie, I was in tears, not because the kid dies Oops, there's the end of the movie, sorry uh, <laughs> Not because the kid dies at the end But because it spoke to me I always gave more than I got Yeah If more people did that, we'd be in a lot better shape than we are right now. Yeah. And we'd all be doing a lot more
0: business with each other together. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I find it impossible to believe that the people watching or listening to this will not want to find out more about you immediately afterwards. Okay. Then do it. So tell us a little bit about some things that you've got going on. Your LinkedIn profile is in the show notes. However... Shoot out how you would like us to find out about you, your website, information about any upcoming projects you have.
1: Okay, great. Love it. All right. So yes, LinkedIn uh, LinkedIn profile, show notes. Uh, take a look at my profile. Please don't ask me to connect with you if I don't know you. I mean, please. I know everybody. I know our connections. So if you want to follow me, great. Follow me. I'm the number 11th most followed LinkedIn coach in the world right now. I'm growing faster than any other of the other 12 through 1 million LinkedIn coaches in the world. That's okay. Uh, Following is fine. Go to my website, connect, the number two, collaborate.com. That's what we're doing here. Connecting to collaborate. That's what it's all about,
0: right? I love it too.
1: In there, there is a tab on the website for my blog. Daily blog, set your clock to 8 a.m. Every business morning, you're going to get something from me. It won't be brilliant every
0: time, but it's as brilliant as I can do every day. <laughs> you know what?
1: It ain't easy to write a blog post every Tell single day. Tell me about it.
0: <laughs> I don't even know how you do it. I'm blown away I, by folks. I wonder this. how I do it, but I get, it. I get lots of input from
1: my world. It's absolutely amazing. Writing a book. Well, I've written two books already. You see them behind me. This one? And this one, this book is written by the American Bar, uh, published by the American Bar Association. I wrote it for them. LinkedIn marketing techniques for law and professional practitioners. April twenty sixth, it comes out in second edition. That's what I should be doing right now, but I chose to spend the time with you, Scott, because editing your book is so horrible. <laughs> it's so <much laughs> anyway, it's due Friday, so I got to get back Whoa. to that. The other book I wrote is LinkedIn for nonprofit. Professionals, the Mm. only book on the market aimed at nonprofit professionals, NGOs, and membership associations on Amazon. It's an advertisement for Mark. But nonetheless, all these books are designed for people who read and learn through book learning because not everybody reads and learns through e-courses. And I've got e-courses for baby boomers. I've got e-courses for college students who are graduating and don't know how to get out of the way and get in touch touch with good people who want to hire them in a down economy, in a pandemic economy. We've got another e-course for nonprofit people. So I've got all these e-courses out there. I, I, I teach. Everything I do is a teach. It's a teaching opportunity for me to make somebody do better. That's my goal.
0: I absolutely love it. Mark, it has been great Riding with you down the Purpose Highway today. Thank you so much for joining me. Everybody, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a positive review on Apple or um, subscribe either on the Purpose Highway website page to my YouTube page or on any of the various different platforms. And Mark, you're waving your finger at me. So tell Tell me what what you're going to say.
1: Tell us what you liked that you heard here. Tell us why we made a difference for you. What Scott said and did, or maybe one of two things that I did, but the fact that there's a highway means that there's a path someplace new. And that's
0: where we're all going.
1: We're always on the journey.
0: I have to say... I love that. And I'm going to steal that and add it to the end of every podcast going forward. Thank you for that. And that's why you all listen to the Purpose Highway. So you can get tidbits like that and learn and grow and be something greater. Just like you helped me become something a little bit greater right now, Mark. Everyone, I will see you next time for another episode of the Purpose Highway. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Join our community today at PurposeHighway.com. And subscribe to get notified when new episodes go live. Scott Mason, checking out.